Amen. Well, uh, good to once again be together with all of us this morning, having God's Word uh, certainly before us. And often in situations like this, I, I think of Brother Dean one time when he was speaking of, uh, of another subject that may have caused some wrinkle, you know what I mean, some rankle within, within the church, and uh, many times things do. And I remember him saying that, you know, what happens is the church, uh, the Bible starts here, and then we move away a little bit. And then we realize, oh, we've moved away. And then we come back, and we, we don't quite come back all the way. And then the church will move a little bit more. And, oh, oh, we moved a little bit from God's Word, and then we, we come back. And we never quite come all the way back to what the Word of God actually has to say. And that can many times, brethren, as we are shocked back into the realities of the Word of God and what God actually says concerning very important matters amongst the life of the Christian and of the church. And so this morning, Brother Steve and, and all of them from Ashley, good to have you with us this morning. He, he said to me, oh, they haven't thrown you out yet. Well, after today, some may want to throw me out. Uh, others will want to keep me. But, uh, but what we really want to do is just, you know, understand. I titled the message, Why I Don't Celebrate Halloween, and, uh, and why I think you shouldn't either. Amen. And so... Uh, as we get started here this morning, I want you to listen to Anton LaVey. You know who Anton LaVey, he was the founder of the Church of Satan. And I want you to see what Anton LaVey thinks when Christians participate in Halloween. Listen to what he says. He said, I am glad that Christian parents let their children worship the devil at least one night out of the year. Welcome to Halloween. And so... According to the Church of Satan, participating in Halloween, amen, if you will, is indeed being in communion with Satan and his evil ones. You're all rolling your eyes. I, I can see it now because it's such a shock to our culture and to our church, quote unquote, community. But brethren, swirling all around Halloween's fall festivities and tricking or treating are the not so subtle connections to Satan's unholy if you will, supernatural practices. And this really is, this is what it's about. It is about the spirit world. It's about, you know, dealing with the spirit within you, the Holy Spirit of God, and then, of course, the unseen spirits that we just cannot see. Well, let me just say this. Despite the distance we have traveled from the time of its origin, Halloween still remains firmly tethered to paganism and dark practices. Irregardless of what you think, it hasn't traveled very far away from it, amen? And it is quite an amazing thing. Now, let me just uh, give you a little bit of background concerning Halloween. Halloween, as we know it, began over 1,900 years ago in England, Ireland, and northern France. It was a Celtic celebration of the New Year called Samhain. Uh, this is where it originally started. The Celtic Druids revered this season of haunting as the biggest holiday of the year and emphasized its time, uh, the time when the souls of the dead could come and mingle with the living. Now, <laughs> grab a hold of this, brethren, for just a moment. Fifteen billion, can I say it again? Fifteen billion dollars will be spent this year on Halloween. It is only second to Christmas. It's an amazing thing how this thing has, has kind of gripped America, gripped a hold of us, amen? And believe it or not, it's the strangest thing ever. When you break down what they're spending, of the, of the $15 billion, over $400 million is spent on animal costumes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Your little dog running around there, he's got a little Halloween costume on. I mean, it's quite an amazing thing to, to consider it. It really is. 
They believed that during the night of November 1st, demons, witches, wizards, brothers, listen, we haven't traveled far from this, even though we think we have. We dress our kitties up in this thing, and we haven't traveled very far from it, I promise you. They believe that demons, witches, wizards, and evil spirits freely roamed the earth with great joy, celebrating the arrival of their season, if you will. It's an amazing thing. The long nights and early dark beginning days of winter. So in order to appease the demons, the wizards, what they believe, the witches, the goblins, one had to leave them sweets. It's an amazing thing. You know, the jack-o'-lantern, all this stuff's all tied into this. And it's all tied into the spiritual life of a person. It really is. Even the jack-o'-lanterns. They believed you had to leave them, leave them sweets or dress up like one of them in a costume so that you might fool them <laughs> into thinking that you're not a human because they were afraid. They thought they were coming to torture the humans. This is what they believed. So you dress up like one of them and... Well, I don't know. We haven't traveled very far from it, as far as I can tell. It's an amazing thing. In fact, some of them, most of them embraced this season of haunting by engaging in communication with the dead. They sought out the spirits of their ancestors regarding the weather. <laughs> you farmers should stay away from this. Regarding weather forecasts for the coming year, crop expectations, and, of course, romantic prospects. Hmm. Anybody familiar with grave sucking? You know what that is? You ever seen that? I mean, it's this crazy Nazi stuff, just demonic stuff enters right into the church. It's a crazy thing. And listen, bobbing for apples, which appears to be something very, very uh, uh, not so damaging to one, was one of the practices they used to divine the spirit world's blessings on a couple's romance. Bobbing for apples. All of this, brethren, has connotations and is tied deeply to the darkness of the satanic world. Oh, there's that fundamentalist. There he goes again. And not to be outdone, brethren. <laughs> this is where it all just really just amazing. Pope Gregory VI came along and moved the celebration of All Saints Day to November 1st, the day of sowing, thereby trying to Christianize, mingle Christian symbolism with pagan and satanic practices. Now, brothers, <laughs> we understand as we get into our text this morning, I want you to keep this in mind, very clearly in your minds, that the Lord God, and we're going to get into the book of Deuteronomy here, but when the Lord God brought the children of Israel into the land, into the promised land, and he told them, this is what you do. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that when you go into the land. The land, the gift that I'm giving unto you. Does anybody know here, it's, it's Sunday morning, I shouldn't be asking questions, but I like to ask questions. Does anybody know the percentage of time when Israel disobeyed God, when they went into the land and they didn't do what God said? Does anybody know the percentage of time that they were indeed engulfed with the things we're going to talk about? You know how many times? The percentage of time is 100% of the time. Now, when you have something happening 100% of the time, you better grab a hold of it and go, well, this is going to happen. This is exactly what's going to happen in 100% of the time when Israel disobeyed God. They were indeed infected with this evil stuff. They mingled with it. They tried to, Christ, well, they didn't Christ, they Jewishized it. And now we're trying to Christianize it. It's a stunning, amazing thing, brother, how far we've come from what the Bible actually says. 
we've, we've moved away and we haven't come back. We've moved away and haven't come back. And we're, as, 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 as believers, we have moved ourselves a long ways away. God never changes. We do. And he hasn't changed concerning these issues. One iota, not for a second, has he changed. Well, this morning, we find ourselves in the book of Deuteronomy, which means second law. It was the second giving of the Mosaic law, the first being at Mount Sinai. We remember this. God gave the law at Mount Sinai, and then what happened? They disobeyed God. What did they do? They wandered around, and a whole generation died in the wilderness. So as we take up our text this morning, he is now giving not a second law, but a review of the first law to those who are going to enter into the promised land. And the book of Deuteronomy really is a series of three sermons preached by Moses unto Israel. As they were in the plain of Moab, just as I said, they were about to enter into the promised land. And Moses is led by the Spirit of God to remind this generation of a phrase, thou shalt. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. The book of Deuteronomy is loaded with thou shalt and thou shalt not. This phrase is a most needful thing for all of us because really what this does, it's a book of reminding. It's a book of remembrance just like Peter, right? How many times did Peter say that? It is not a problem for me to write these things onto you or to tell you of these things again because it is good for us to what? To remember. And believe you me, I've said it a thousand times, my hair has changed color and my memory is not near what it used to be. I forget things and so do you. And so God here in the book of Deuteronomy, and I want to show you this, Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is a book of thou shalt. Turn there with me. Let's just read a couple of these portions of scripture laying down the, the foundation, if you will. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Look at verse number 39. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and, above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. So in other words, he's saying, I am God and there's none else. And we as believers understand that, right? Look at how he, verse, verse 40. Thou shalt keep, brethren, there it is again. This again is a book of reminder to them, the, the second giving of the law, to keep what? What does he say? Thou shalt keep therefore his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee this day, that it may go well with thee, and that my children after thee, and thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. Look at over one chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 5. We know what Deuteronomy chapter 5 is. This is what? This is the Ten Commandments. This is the second giving of the Ten Commandments. And I want you to see what he says in most of them. Look at verse number 5, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Look at verse number 7. Thou shalt have no other gods before you. None. He's reminding them, I'm God, remember? You shall have none other than me. This is it. Look at verse 8. Thou shalt not make thee any graven images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Look at verse 11. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. This is his reminder of what's taking place. Look at verse 17. Thou shalt not kill, neither shalt thou commit adultery, neither shalt thou steal, neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor, neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's 
life. The book of Deuteronomy is full of thou shalt's and thou shalt not. Again, a reminder of God's holiness, a reminder of that he, when he calls a people unto himself, he separates us, he sanctifies us, he sets us apart for himself. And this literally is what is taking place. He's reminding them that I have called you above every other nation. I've set you apart. I've made you a peculiar, a most unique people unto me, myself. And therefore, thou shalt do all of these or don't do all of these things. In fact, by way of reminding, look at chapter 6, just over one. This is a book of reminder of our memories needing to be reminded of these things. Look at verse number 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul and all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt... Bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be frontals between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Here it is again. I'm reminding you of who I am. I'm reminding you that I'm holy. I'm reminding you that I've set you apart. And thou shalt do these things. Look there, if you would, just a little farther down. Look at verse number 12. This is why God did it. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord. Don't forget God. Don't forget who he is. Because, brethren, we do, and sometimes we will. Don't forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. The book of Deuteronomy is indeed, brethren, again, a book of reminding. It's a book of remembrance. It's a book of calling his people to remember how holy and righteous and pure and good that he really is. And when we start dabbling in the things that we're going to look at, and you can say, I don't dabble in it, but by your actions, you dabble in it, maybe unawares, but not after today. So you're either going to, you know, some of you are going to want to throw me out. Some of you will give me a big old hug. Some of you are going to go, what? What is he talking about? That's why we have God's word. God doesn't change. You and I do. Look there now at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Look at verse number 9. There's going to be a familiar word or familiar phrase that pops right out, right at the beginning. Verse 9. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt. What? Thou shalt not learn. Thou shalt not learn to do after the abomination of those nations. Again, as we look at our text, Moses begins here again with another thou shalt. Thou shalt not learn after the abominations of these nations. The Lord God, brethren, knows. The Lord God created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows that we have a proclivity, that certain people have a proclivity, because within us we have a proclivity to worship. We have a proclivity to worship something. And if it isn't God, it's going to be something. That's why back in Deuteronomy, which if we could go back even a little farther there, it says, don't make a graven image or anything. When I spoke to you, you saw nothing. There was no similitude. There was nothing. 
I'm a spirit. And he said, because what will happen is you're going to have a proclivity to bow down and worship what? The moon and the stars and the earth and the grass and the trees. And this is precisely what God is warning about. He's warning us not to dabble in this place, not to go here. In fact, really what Moses, under the inspiration of God, is, is doing is that because of this natural curiosity of the occult, that curiosity often leads one to gain knowledge of what God commands to leave alone. It causes one to try and gain knowledge of what God says to leave alone. In fact, here we have eight means. <laughs> this is really what it is. Eight means of contacting, eight ways in which God specifically says to stay away from. Do not contact or try and contact or communicate with the spirit world. That's what he's warning them about. That's what this text is really about. That word learn means to goad. Again, it means to acquire knowledge or ideas of something before unknown. Moses is telling God's people that they are not to try to discern God's will. And again, this is, again, this is what happens. As the pagans were doing in the land that they're trying to, to take over. In other words, what the pagans are doing to try and discern what, what the will of their gods is, you don't do that same thing. In fact, look at verse 15. You don't need to do that. Because I'm going to provide something for my people that the pagans do not have. Look at verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Now again, this is a prophecy, dual prophecy, one of concerning Christ, of course, in the future. But this is the man of God who is going to speak to the people of God so they know what God is doing. Don't do what the pagans are doing. Don't mingle with them. Don't mix with them. Turn to me, God, the one true God, who is going to send you a prophet, who will tell you that's what preachers are supposed to do. They're supposed to preach God's word and have you understand and help you understand, and the Spirit of God works in you to understand what God is saying. This is what he's saying. Brothers and sisters, instead of dressing up like witches, goblins, and ghosts, should Christians mimic this by dressing up like Moses, Paul, and Elijah? Should we be mixing with this stuff? This is the question you have to ask yourself. What does God say? You know, let's have a Christian harvest fest. Let's dress up like Paul and Elijah. Let's do that. Why would we do that, brethren? Why? Why do we want to be like them? I don't understand it one bit, especially when God warns us to stay away from it. Why? It's a stunning thing. Because if you look at verse 12, I want you to notice the phrase. For all that do it. <laughs> this doesn't happen outside in a vacuum. God's displeasure is with those all who do it. Look at verse 12. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. It's a stunning thing, brethren. That word abomination means extreme hatred and detestation. You think God just writes this down and we're supposed to fool around with something that God hates? We're supposed to mimic something God hates? And not just hate, but he extremely hates it to an extreme. But somehow in the West, we have tried to mimic. And I love what some of them say. Well, you know, it's a great night to share the gospel. 
Here's my question. What about every other night? What about every other day? What about those? What about them days? Why are we going to mingle in and mix in so we can somehow use a man-made thought and try and share the gospel with them? You should. You should do it every night and every day. It's an amazing thing, brethren, how we will reason this stuff away. We will try and, again, take our man-made thought and mix it with God's, and it doesn't, he tells us to steer clear and run as fast. Well, <laughs> just be obedient to him. Thou shalt not. That's what he's saying to us. In fact, let me show you. Let me show you what a man in the Bible, a man named David, King David, you might know who he is, and his group, they had the best of intentions. The best of intentions. Isn't it funny? People have some good intentions. The best intentions. But they're not God's intentions. And this is the problem. This is where it comes in. I want you to look and see for just a moment with me in 2 Samuel. Let me show you what happened. The best intentions. And we must pay careful attention to this. I want you to see who David mimicked. I want you to see what David did. He acted like the pagans. You don't treat God like that. You don't mimic those things. 2 Samuel chapter 6 there. Look there if you would. Let me show you here. And there are many examples of this. I want you to take note of verse number 3. David, a man after God's own heart. Good intentions. Look what he does. Now you read verse 3. And normally you'd go, so? And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is in Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. And David... And all the house of Israel played before the Lord all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and psalteries and on trimbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. Verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the auction shook it. Look at verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Now we read that and we go, that sounds harsh. How could a loving God do that? But you need to understand what they did in verse 3. Do you know how the Philistines took the ark of God? You know what they did? They loaded it on a cart, just like this. They loaded it on there and took it out. What are they doing? They're mimicking what the, what the pagans did. They loaded the ark on the and they're taking it back. Well, you say, that still seems harsh. No, actually, God very plainly in Holy Scripture said how the ark is to be moved, how it is to be carried. And it's not like a pagan would do, put it on a cart and carry it. It was with the staves, remember? This is how serious... God takes his holiness. How serious he takes these things. We go to sleep on it. God doesn't. Not at all. We have indeed moved away, I think, to a large degree from the holiness of God. They mimicked them. 
Why would we mimic what the world is doing? Why? I don't know. I wish I knew. Look back there at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Look at verse number 10. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Look at verse number 10. Look here again what God is warning his people about. Look at verse number 10. And there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire uh, or that useth divination, that's the first one, or observer of times, that's the second one, or an enchanter, that's the third one, or witch, number four. Now, brethren, again, as we look at this, this first act that is an abomination in the nostrils of God, that which he hates is the sacrificing of children. <laughs> and we've, we've seen this, right? What we don't understand sometimes is that what the pagans were doing, brethren, on top of sacrificing their children, the children were being used, they were being given up, amen, to the gods of that nation, amen, literally a divination to determine the course of events. They were offering up their children to this god to help this god, Moloch, help them with their course of events. This is what they were doing. This is all about that. That's what this is about. The connotation, the connection, the tethering, all of it to these foreign gods who were clearly unholy and evil. And I remind us again of verse 15. You do not need to turn anywhere but to God himself. Do you want to know what your future is? Do you want to, well, we can't know what our future is, but we can place it in the hands of the one who does. And this is what he's telling them. I will send you a prophet. I'll send you a man of God. He'll tell you. Don't be doing what those pagans are doing. Don't be offering up your children to the God of Moloch to find out what's going on in the future. Brothers, can I ask you something? Did Israel do this? You bet they did. This is exactly what they did. You go on and look. Because they didn't listen to God saying, Thou shalt not. That's exactly what they did. Can you imagine? Think of this for a moment. Serving the Lord, being taken out of Egypt, wandering around in the wilderness, and then God doing those miraculous things that he did the whole time. Think of this. Did their shoes wear out? Did their garments wear out? <laughs> I'd love to have that. I mean, you know what I mean? Although I do stretch and I come and go sometimes, so I might want to have. But none of that happened. They saw the miraculous work of God. God is gifting them, Moses is He's gifting them this land. They didn't earn it. They don't deserve it. God is simply giving it to them. And this is what he's saying. When you go in there, thou shalt not. Well, guess what? They did. Stunning thing. That's why you say, oh, he's so sensitive and so hyper. No, no, actually it happens. And it can happen to you too. Yes, it can and yes, it does. That's why we must look at Scripture and go, what, what does God say? Do I need to get back over here? We all need to get back over here. We all do. All of us. Stunning, isn't it? Let me read verses 10 and 11. Look at the eight. The eight ways God warns them not to communicate with the, with the dark spirit world. Not to mess with it. Not to mimic it. Not to be a part of it. Not to be around it. None of it. 
Look at there. We'll read it again. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. Brethren, Halloween envelops all of those. Do you realize that? Halloween envelops all of it. Every last one of them. It's a stunning thing. Well, let me just define those for you. None, God said, there shall be none of these found among you. The user of divination, that's witchcraft in general. It's witchcraft. <laughs> we got more witchcraft and we know what to do with. Or an observer of time, Moses said. That's a soothsayer. That's an astrological type of divination, seeking guidance through the stars and the planets and the clouds and all these things. It's, America's ripe with all of it. All of it tied to these kinds of festivals. Or an enchanter, he says, that's a palm reader, fortune teller. You ever been to a palm reader or fortune teller? When I met my wife, she was reading, uh, what was that thing called? I wish she was in here. She could answer the question. She was reading something like that. And I looked at her and I said, ooh, you better stop that. This is against the Lord himself. She came to realize how crazy that is. A witch, he says, that's a sorcerer, literally a witch doctor. A charmer, one who conjures up spells. <laughs> I mean, it's all connected, brethren, to the history of all of it. A, consult, a consulter of familiar spirits, that's a spirit medium. A wizard literally is a spiritist. It's a seance leader. Literally, that's what the word means, a seance leader. There's seance going on all the time. It's amazing, isn't it? Finally, a necromancer, one who seeks guidance and information from the dead. Does any of this sound familiar to us? Does it ring a bell in our hearts at all? Does it ring a warning bell in our hearts? That's the question. All of these, again, are tied spiritually to Halloween, every last one of them. It's a stunning thing. And again, I know, there he goes again. No, if you look at it from the eyes of Holy Scripture and Holy Writ and the eyes of God, it is nothing to be trifled with. Nothing. Nothing at all. In fact, look what God tells them. Here's the things you stay away from. Now listen in verses 13 and 14, what he says to his people. Deuteronomy 18, look at verses 13 and 14. Look there if you would. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. What does that mean? Stay away from these things. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. Look what he says there. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God has not suffered thee to do so. What does it mean to be perfect with the Lord thy God? See, he says, and again, like, I, like we talked yesterday in the meetings, God never says thou shalt not without saying thou shalt. He never leaves the Christian with a void. When he says don't do this, then he says do this. Fill it with the good things. He doesn't just suck it out and say there you go, there's a void. He says, no, fill it with these good and holy things. That come directly from me. 
And this is the idea here. This, as Moses declares to the people of God, you shall be blameless. That's what the word means, perfect. It means to be blameless before God. This is more than just a general call to a holy walk. We should always live a holy walk. It is much more than that because of the seriousness of what's taking place and the warning that he's given to his people concerning these matters. It is a solemn warning to keep from any involvement or the appearance of involvement. In other words, looking like them, acting like them, any appearance of that, God says to stay away. It's amazing, isn't it, brothers? There's so many issues that we would, we would say amen to God and go, we need to be obedient to God in that. But as soon as you touch anything like this, people say, whoa, wait a minute. No, it doesn't change. You know, God tells all of us as Christians to steer completely clear of any appearance of what? Evil. We go, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. But somehow we've been westernized and mixed in somehow. I don't know how that all happens. But God says, be, if you will, uh, as you're there, be, if you will, clean before me in these fashions. So let me close here just with a couple of words of encouragement. <laughs> let me close with some practical points for us to put our feet on the ground, Okay. Amen? This is why I don't celebrate Halloween. I don't know if you do or don't. But that's why I don't. Because it is spiritually minded stuff. It is stuff that we, brothers and sisters, we have no idea what's swirling around out there. None. I like these people. In the name of Jesus, I drive out these spirits and all this stuff. They just laugh. Not one time are we ever told in Scripture to ever dabble in it. Not once. We're told to not mess with it, as we're told here. Turn to God. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to him. But look at here, brethren. Let me, let's just close with a couple of scriptures in the New Testament. Look at 2 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 6. Look at 2 Corinthians, chapter 6. So you think that was just in the Old Testament. No, actually, it's here in the New Testament, too. The Christians are called to be separate. We're called to not be mingled or mingled in with that stuff. Look at verse number 14 there, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse number 14. The Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Is Satan an unbeliever? Is Satan's minions an unbeliever? Of course, of course, of course, of course. Is Anton LaVey an unbeliever? Yeah, he sure is. Why would we want to be yoked together with that? Look here, if you would. For what fellowship? <laughs> that's, that's, you know what fellowship is? That is a tight gathering together. What fellowship, Paul asks? What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion, listen to the language, fellowship, communion, hath light with darkness? What concord? Fellowship, Communion, concord, all things that speak of togetherness, being tied together. Why would we be tied together with something that is that evil and has roots that are that evil? I'm just asking. He goes on. 
What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement? There's that word again. Listen to those words. Those are all words that tether together. Hath the temple of God with idols. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, wherefore come out from among them, my people. Be ye, what? Separate, saith the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. This is really not a joke or a laughing matter at all. It really isn't. In all seriousness, it is not. Look at one more over here. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Again, another portion of Scripture where we're commanded to do something and then we fill it with something else. Look at here, Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse number 11. Now, we understand in the context here, there's, of course, Paul is addressing the Christian. He's talking about their speaking. He's talking about their joking. Look, he's, he's just talking about things that you and I would think would be a light thing, and yet the Spirit of God is leading him here to tell us how serious it is. There's no light thing. Talks about whoremongers and unclean persons and covetous people, idolaters, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God. But look there, if you would. At verse number 11, have no fellowship with them, none. Do not be unified with that at all, period, none. So he says, don't do this. What does he say? Don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of what? Darkness. But rather, reprove them. You see that? Don't do this, but do that. Don't have fellowship with them. But reprove them. That's what a good Bible-believing, and I'm talking not just talking about pastors, I'm talking about Christians. All Christians, as we heard yesterday, they have an obligation to defend what? The faith. You think, what, the pastors are just supposed to do that? No, the Bible-believing Christian is to, has an obligation to defend the faith. You have an obligation, brethren. To not partake in these dark, the things of darkness, but to expose them. That's what we've been given as a glorious task. So you say, well, Mike, how, how, do, how do we do that? How do we turn from that? I'm glad you asked. Look at over, look at over one more book, Philippians. We'll close with this. <clears throat> Again. We're given in all practicality and all usefulness the ways in which we are to, as Christians, fight against the things we've been talking about, not participating in it, having no fellowship with it, not being in concord with it, not none of it, not being in harmony with it, none of it. But look what Paul, again, as he, the Lord is so gracious to us and gracious to him. Look there, if you would. At verse number 7 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes this, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's a heart and a mind. There's the, there's the mind of a person 
turn to Christ. He'll keep that mind and he'll keep that heart. That's the thinking part and the emotional part. It's an amazing thing. He'll keep both of those. And listen to what he says. How do we do that? Look at what he says. Finally, brother, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, you have to ask yourself, if I'm participating in these things, is it just? Is it pure? Is it holy? Is it something God would certainly approve of? Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. This is what the Christian, that we, what we should be doing, amen? This is what we've been called to. We've been called and separated by God. We've been sanctified by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved you. He shed his blood for you if you're saved this morning. You're in Christ. So my question this morning, again, as we close, is what communion, what fellowship hath Christ with Belial? None. None. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your unchanging word. And all of us, quite frankly, unless it's just me, have a tendency to wander away. I have a tendency to soften on matters. I have a tendency to forget the seriousness of these things. So, Father, we're grateful this morning for your word that never changes, never moves. It is the same today, tomorrow, and for all of eternity. And, Father, will you instill in us those same things, those things that sometimes when they pierce us, it is good for us. It is good for us to be jolted sometimes. Sometimes we need to be, to be awakened from our slumber and realize how we have drifted so far away. Father, I thank you. That's one of the purposes of your word, is to help all of us with that. And Father, we pray this morning that, uh, again, that all that we do, and we're all sinners, I know. We all fall short. But boy, will you give us a desire to please the Lord our God? Will you give us a desire to cleave unto the Lord our God? Will you give us a desire to be holy because you are holy? May you give us a desire to not be like the world not smell like it, taste like it, participate in it. And again, Father, it can happen, and it does happen many times to all of us in different ways. But here particularly, it is indeed a spiritual matter. It really is. And Father, may we be awakened to that truth. May we be ever vigilant to it. 
Father, we love you, we thank you, and we do indeed pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.